Father, Scripture tells us that if we weren't to sing your praise, that all of nature, the rocks and the fields would cry out. The stars are singing your glory, God. The mountains tremble before you because they know what often we are blind to. That you are God and you are on your throne. You are good. And so, Father, I pray that it not just be the mountains that tremble, that it would be us in this room this morning that would tremble before your glory and know that you love us, that you are for us, that you are with us. God, we, we come before you and just asking in the name of Jesus that your spirit would stir in this room, that you would step down into the places and the hearts that are hurting, into the doubts and the questions, to the fears and the worries, to the anxiety, God, that you would step down and do what only you can do, that you, the God who makes the mountains move with the sound of your voice, God, we, we, we just profess together what Scripture tells us, that if you are for us, who could be against us? That nothing can separate us from your powerful, gracious, merciful love. So in Jesus, we just come before you gathered as a family, thanking you, Abba Father, for your deep love for us and praying, don't stop. Pour your spirit out. Continue to draw us to you that we may join our voices with all of creation singing your glory. God, we come before you in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Be seated, church. Be seated. Good morning. I have a special place in my heart for that song. That was the song that was playing when, when I felt my call into ministry. I could tell you exactly where I was sitting in a, in a camp on, in East Texas on Lake Palestine and in this lower room at a worship service with students. I can tell you exactly what God said to my heart, what was happening. So every time I hear that song, it just takes me back to that place uh, when, I, when I felt God called me into ministry. So I love it. My um, prayer this morning is that you feel God speaking into your heart uh, to you personally. And he does that through scripture, so I'm excited to jump in. I want to give a couple of quick announcements just to piggyback off of what Amy said. Um, we, we are in the middle of 20 liters. We're raising funds, uh, raising awareness for that. Uh, the walk is coming up. We, we are asking, hey, everybody come out. It's a, it's a wonderful way to hang out together, get to know folks. It was one of our first events last year, and uh, you just get to know people on a different level. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun out at Roar Park. Uh, after service, Lisey will be out in the, in the hub area, and she can help you get signed up for it. Uh, there's also, we're, we're taking in donations. As, uh, for that, you can donate directly to 20 liters. You don't have to go through us at all. Um, but if you want to donate through us, you can on the, on the check. Just make sure you, you say 20 liters. We have a goal of, of we just kind of put out 20,000. That's about what, what we've done in the past several years uh, for 20 liters, and, and which is a, an awesome goal. Uh, you can do all that through online. So again, at the Hub, uh, as well as we need volunteers for that morning. And so uh, just push that for you that if you're willing to help out in any kind of way, uh, Colleen will be out there and she can help you sign up for that. Uh, and then secondly, tonight is our, is our discussion. I know Amy brought that up for, but I, I just want let you know that if you're a part of our discussion for, for the first five chapters of the problem of God, uh, we're going to do it differently. We're actually going to be in here at four o'clock. We're going to have a discussion panel up on stage. I've invited a couple of our church folks. Uh, I think we're going to have a pretty diversified panel. I'm excited about it as we dive in. There's some big topics in these, in these next five chapters. So even if you haven't read, this is a format that you can still come and participate in and, and listen to the discussion. We're talking about hell. We're talking about hypocrisy. Uh, we're talking about sexuality. There's some big questions uh, in 
all of this. There'll be a, a, a diversity of, of views on that. I'm excited about that. And so come and, and, and be with us up on, uh, here today at four um, and as we dive into the last bit of that, of that book together. All right, enough of that. Let's jump into our study together. Have you been with us? We have uh, been in the book of Acts, and so we're continuing on in our study in the book of Acts. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. There are Bibles in the chair in front of you. If you don't have one with you, uh, please join us. With, uh, oh, grab one of those and open it up with us. If you, don't, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have that one. Take it home. That's our gift to you, uh, Acts chapter 5. Last week, we tackled uh, what is one of the hardest texts in all of the New Testament and the hardest stories to deal with. If you weren't here last week for Ananias' fire, I, I, I highly suggest you go back and, and listen to that online uh, as, as it's just a problematic, hard passage. Uh, this morning, we're moving on in the story of what God is doing in this first church. So let's start in verse 12. We're going to read through verse uh, 16, and we'll get going in our, in our study this morning. So let's read. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the poor, excuse me, by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. I had the, the joy yesterday of watching uh, my five-year-old play in his first soccer game. And I don't know if you've ever experienced the joy of watching five-year-olds play soccer, but it is just a bucket of fun, right? <laughs> There is no order to it. There are goals and there are lines that are sprayed and they could care less, right? Whatever direction they're facing, that's the direction they're kicking the ball and they move just as one big blob. At one point, the ball got past the goal and the kids just kept on kicking it down the field and they were halfway down to the other field before, uh, before the coaches could, could rally them back around and say, stop, stop, stop. We had one kid in our team that scored three goals for the other team. That was awesome. <laughs> And, and every time he would come around giving everybody high fives, he's like, yes, 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 I scored. And one time, same kid, he got in front of our goal, and he started yelling at the t other team. He said, stop cheating. Get out of my way. <laughs> he was pretty sure that they were cheating by defending him. Uh, it was an awesome time. Uh, and nearly everybody on the team have no clue what, what the rules of soccer are. They're brand new to it. But there's a couple of kids, uh, my, my son and, and one of the other kids who have older siblings that have played. And so you can tell they've watched soccer. And so they've got like the general gist down. That and so Hudson was getting so frustrated. You can see him go, there's out of bounds. <laughs> like, like trying to get him to come back in. It was not okay with their lack of rule following. And, uh, and he, he got it. He was trying to pass. And it, it was really kind of funny. Um, and I bring that up. Uh, to say this, that, that, that what those kids need a lot is, is they just need to go watch a soccer game. They need somebody to model for them what, what soccer is. And that's one of the best ways to teach little ones, right, is you model for them and they can see that. And I say that to say this, that in church, I think it's the reverse, that we as the church that have been around for 2,000 years need the infant church to model for us what church is actually supposed to be about. And so we see in Acts the baby church. I mean, it, it is just getting started here. And there's so much from them that we need to learn. As this was, this was church in its purest, noblest form in its very, very beginning. 
It, it doesn't have all the 2,000 years of human history messing it up and the crusades. I mean, all the crazy stuff that we try to add into church. It's just church in its rawest form. And I think we would do so well to go to these texts and just say, what, what can we learn from you, infant church, on what it means to be church? And so with those eyes, I want to run to this passage because this passage is absolutely amazing. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it starts off right off the bat with this doozy of a line that the apostles were performing many signs and wonders amongst them. I mean, God's spirit was moving in a, in a drastic way, and they're meeting together regularly, all of them, in Solomon's colonnade, which was this, this part of the temple courts, the out, outside section in, of, of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And, and, and not only that, they, they had this reputation that people were kind of scared to, to be of them, but at the same time, they, 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 were, they had respect for them. And yet, God's Spirit is moving so much that it says, nevertheless, that many, many men and women were being added to their number regularly. They were coming to believe in Jesus Christ, which is a miracle in and of itself. And so great was the movement of God that there was even this reputation that if you could just bring your sick and let Peter's shadow pass over it, that maybe they will be healed. Now, it doesn't say that Peter's shadow healed them, but that was the reputation. There was even, there was such a powerful reputation of the church that, that God was moving so drastically. And then you have that, that even, and this is, this is big, by the way, in the story of Acts, the first time the gospel has jumped the walls of the city of Jerusalem is in this passage. In verse 16, it says that, that, that other cities were bringing their sick and their tormented people to the church because the reputation of what God was doing was jumping the bounds and the gospel was growing and the kingdom of God was growing. That's awesome. Wouldn't you love to see church that way? That's far too polite for this morning. You're going to have to catch up. Would you like to see church? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I Man, it sounds amazing, doesn't it? And so there's a part of me that just runs to this and go, what can we learn from this church? Now, I want to be careful. I want to say on the front side of this that this is a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think there's any formula that we follow that makes God do that, right? There's no formula that if we do the boom, 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 God will definitely show up exactly as we want it and expect it. Like that, that's, that's not what this is saying. But even given this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, Right? You have healings going on. All of them were healed, it said in verse 16. Yeah, but then right after this, there's some crazy stuff happens. And then Stephen gets, gets stoned and killed, the first martyr, and they didn't heal him. Right? Like it's not always going to be 100% healings for the rest. This was a moment in time where God is pouring out his spirit in a special way. And there is an awakening happening, and many, many men and women are coming to faith. And so that's God's prerogative. He moves how he wants to move, when he wants to move, where he wants to move. And yet, from this baby church and from this season of, of incredible ministry, I think there's much that we can learn. In fact, I think there's two things that this morning I want to focus on. But to understand those two things, I think we need to back up and give some context to this. Because actually, verse 12 is, is there's a ton happening in this one sentence. That the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers, all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. There, there's so much to that sentence, but to understand that, we've got to back up. And this is just good Bible, uh, Bible study skills, by the way, because verses do not exist in isolation. Like, I know we live in the, in the Instagram era where we think Bible uh, is, is meant in little verses where you have a cute verse with a cute picture and you put it out and that's, that's what it means to read the Bible. But Bibles don't exist in isolation. There's always context to it. 
And so we have the, the context of this verse, but we got to back up and get a running start into it, okay? So let, let's go back a couple of chapters to chapter 3 of Acts. And if you'll remember, Peter and John are walking into the temple, and they see a crippled man at the temple gates. And do you remember what they do? You remember what they do? They heal him, right? In the name of Jesus, they heal him. He gets up, does cartwheels, starts dancing, and everybody's praising, and many people come to know the Lord. And then what happens to Peter and John? Do you remember? They get arrested. It's cheating, Amy. You heard the sermon already. Are you going to let somebody else answer that? <laughs> if Peter knew it, he's good. I used to watch Jeopardy before, before my friends, and then they would be amazed. They thought I was a genius because I knew all the answers. <laughs> I, feel like, I, feel like, I feel like it's what you're doing there, right? I'm kidding. You can keep on your head. You're good. Yeah, they, they were arrested. Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, which are the Jewish re- religious leaders. And the Jewish religious leaders say, hey, in whose name, by what power are you doing this? And they said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you killed, your murderers. And, and, and they didn't like that either. And so they threatened them. They said, no more. Don't, you're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And to which Peter and John go, yeah, right. I saw Jesus resurrected standing before me. I'm not scared of you. I'm scared of that. Like that's, you, you can try to shut me up. It's not happening. But they threaten them. And Peter and John know, the church know that the Sanhedrin's threat is real. They just killed Jesus. If they had no problem killing Jesus, do you think they have any problem killing these guys? They know that this isn't an empty threat. And yet the Sanhedrin threatens them. They say, stop preaching. They release Peter and John. Peter and John go back to the church. And at the end of chapter 4, we see them coming back to the church. And do you remember what they do? They pray. And do you remember what they pray for? Look at this. At, at, at four, chapter 4, verse 29, 30. This is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats, meaning the Sanhedrins, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. Do you hear what they're praying for? God, God, you, you hear them threatening us. Can, can I confess real quick that most often when I pray, I pray asking God to alleviate my suffering and pain. They prayed this prayer knowing it was going to increase their pain. It was going to increase their challenging. And in fact, fast forward to next, next week's passage, guess what happens after this passage? They get arrested again. It's predictable. And yet, even though they could predict it, looking the danger in the face, they pray, God grant us boldness, and then you stick out your hand and you perform miracles. You do signs and wonders. So you fast forward to verse 12, and our passage for today is the exact fulfillment of that prayer. Because the apostles are now in Solomon's colonnade. So they're choosing where to set up camp. And they go to where the people are, and it just happens to be the Sanhedrin's backyard, and they could care less, right? It's right there in the temple. Talking about boldness, do you think God gave them boldness? Yeah. He gave them boldness, and so they're there preaching. And then God shows up with signs and wonders and miracles. He answers their prayer, and the kingdom of God is exploding right there in the backyard of the Sanhedrin. Now, here is is my question. Why in the world would they pray? Why in the world would they pray for more boldness and go face willingly the persecution that they knew they were going to get? Why would they pray for that? And this is where I think we could learn. This is where I think we can learn. They would pray that because they had been so transformed by the love of Jesus that they couldn't help it. You know the story of Jesus. 
God so loved the world that he sacrificed his son so that we might have life. Like that, that's the gospel, right? We might live through him. And Jesus taught his disciples, listen, come after me. Hey, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. To, to be mine is to be a servant. To, to, to be so transformed by my love, this love that would send me into this world of sacrifice that others might have life is now put into the children of God that we might go love and serve others so that they might have life. And did, did that lead to an easier life for Jesus? No. But, but Jesus did get had this eternal perspective. And so he ran after it. And, and so I think the boldness that, that they were praying for that God granted them is the boldness to go love like Jesus loves. No matter what. No matter what. Because here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Here's where this convicts me. Is I don't know if I love like that. I don't know if I love like that. I have a friend that uh, I hired in Arkansas to be my, re- my replacement in youth ministry when I was there. And he came from a, a Louis Giglio's church in Atlanta, the Passion City Church, which is, you don't know Louis Giglio, is a famous preacher. He's also a Baylor Bear, so I like him a lot. Um, and, and Chris Tomlin is the worship leader. Is he still the worship leader there? That's, that's cheating. You're supposed to know all things about worship, Matt. Um, and they, they just, I mean, there's really cool things going on there. But here's one of the things he told me. He said, uh, my buddy Chris, he said, um, that they have the highest, one of the highest volunteer to church attender ratios in the country. Of all the churches, they have, and they're a mega church, but they have thousands of volunteers. But here's what I find fascinating. You know what they call their volunteers? They call them door holders. And it doesn't matter what your job is. If you work with children, if you're working in the coffee cart, if you work in the sound booth, if you're a greeter, if you're an usher, they call every volunteer a door holder. You know why? Because they teach the heart that by you being willing to serve and volunteering, it is opening the door, holding the door open for somebody else to come and experience Jesus. I love that heart. Let's be honest. When we volunteer, we always focus on the cost to us, right? Does it cost us something to volunteer? Yeah, I got to wake up early. It's football season. I'd rather get home early. I don't want to be dealing with all this, right? That, that I've got to study some kind of curriculum. I might have to commit four weeks in a row to actually be there. Like, I, I might have to go to some kind of practice. And we can come up with this long list of reasons why I don't got time for that, right? I don't feel, and we have this great long reason. And yet you have the first church going, I could die, but Jesus is awesome. So I'm going to pray for boldness and I'm going to show up in the teeth of the Sanhedrin and I'm going to hold the door open so that others might come to know Jesus Christ. Can we just get confession? No, ain't nobody in here dying because of your volunteering, right? <laughs> and yet, the sinful nature is strong enough that we can come up with what seems to us to us be a valuable reason of why we can't serve that way. Oh, that God would grant us the boldness to get over ourselves, right? (laughs) To say, Jesus, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's not about me. And might I need a sacrifice? Yeah, Jesus sacrificed his life. Might I need a sacrifice sometimes and, and four Sundays in a row, heaven forbid, that others might come to know Jesus Christ? I think that's a lesson we can learn from the first church that is awesome and beautiful. Because did it work? 
Did their willingness to show up in Solomon's colonnade, not just a few bold ones, but it said all of them would meet together, did their willingness to show up there, even though it cost them something, did it work for the kingdom of God? Yeah, verse 14, look at verse 13. Verse 13, everybody was scared to go hang out with them because they knew the Sanhedrin's threat. So people weren't coming to hang out with them in Solomon's colonnade. People weren't showing up because they were the cool people. But yet it says, nevertheless, nevertheless, even though people were scared, many men and women, not just a little many, many, many men and women were being added. More and more were being added to their number of people that were believing in Jesus. That's amazing. You see, their willingness to open the door allowed others to experience Jesus. I'm going to hit on this just a little bit, just real quickly. And this is, this is all of us. Uh, look around the room real quick. We are growing. There are new faces here, new people here that we are praying would come and experience Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Right? But the bigger the family gets, the more roles we need to fill for volunteering to hold the doors open that others, you see how it works? And here's what we need. We need, imagine this, we need more door holders. Right? Our children's ministry has nearly doubled in the past year. You know what hasn't doubled? Door holders. <laughs> So right now, we have Jessica out here trying to run a really cool children's ministry thing called Zonk, and it's like her and two other ladies and 60 kids. And let's just get real honest, all right? I'm going to stomp on my own toes, right? We go, yeah, but I don't want to hang out with kids. Kids are not my bad. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing the first church is not like, I'm okay with dying. Yeah, I'm good with that. Dying's kind of fun. I, I, I like persecution. I'll go serve there. That's, God gave me the gift of handling persecution. I can. No. It was, what door needs to be held? I'll go hold that door. Because Jesus held the door wide open for me to come to have life. Right? Right? Okay, I'm going to jump off your toes and my toes. Can I just challenge you to listen to the Spirit of God? Listen, part of what it means to be a part of a family, we give this speech to our kids all the time. Right? Like, do I have to clean my room? Do I, have, do I have to take out the trash? Do I have to? They're like, you're part of a family. Sort of, family has responsibilities, and they think family means mom and dad does all the work. <laughs> so we're in this council battle of you are confused, my child, right? <laughs> I had a boy so you can learn how to mow. Like, like I'm, I am, this goes hand in hand. Like, I nearly cried the day he, he's like, Dad, can I mow? Yes, you can, boy. <laughs> Let daddy teach you. This is awesome, right? And that was fun for like the first three times. And now I ask him to mow. He's like, man, I don't know. I, my leg hurts from soccer, dad. You're going to learn how to mow with a limp. I'm like, <laughs> we're family, right? And there's joy in family because you know what stinks is doing life without family. Families have chores, <laughs> but it also opens the door for family to have family, to stay together. So I just want you to, to hear the Spirit of God saying, this family is built on the love of Jesus that is sacrificial and holds the door open for other people to know Jesus as well, that they might come join the family, right? That's what it's about. So I'm not going to tell you where to serve, although I can point a couple places, and if you don't volunteer, I might ask you specifically, but... I keep saying I'm going to stop talking about this, and I keep on. Uh, 
You get what I'm saying. We need you. God is wanting to use you. But here's the second part of that. They didn't just pray for boldness. They didn't just pray for boldness. What else did they pray for? That's the question. Come on. What else did they pray for? For the hand of God to stretch out and do healings and signs and wonders. What? They're not playing around with church. And they go, God, I can open the door and people can show up, but I don't have the power to transform a heart. Only you have that power. And you want to know the real miracle in our text today? It's not the part about people's bodies being healed. It's verse 14. That more and more men and women believed in the Lord. That's the great miracle. It's the outpouring. I used to think that it was by my clever sermons that somebody would come to know Jesus. I have long since got over myself. I am powerless to change a heart. Right? The people come to know Jesus when Jesus moves in a miraculous, powerful way, and they go from unbelief to belief. And we can't, we're, we're going to have this discussion up here tonight, and we're going to talk about questions that skeptics believe, and that's good. We need to be able to have conversations about it, but let's get real honest. You're never going to argue anybody into the kingdom of heaven. Like, people aren't going, oh, you're so clever. I want to be a follower of Jesus. They go, oh, Jesus is alive, and he's revealed himself to me. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so they were praying, God, you show up and do what only you can do. Because I'm not powerful enough to do that. Now, we will do our part. Grant us with boldness. We will do our part. We will hold the door open. We will show up. But we are asking you to do your part, God. So here is the question we as a church need to wrestle with in light of this. Does God still move in miraculous ways today? Does he? Do you believe that? When's the last time we prayed for that? Let's go back. I mean, okay. Does God still move miraculously today? Yes. Is he still powerful today? Yes. When's the last time we prayed for that? You see the problem? They had built their whole strategy of church on God or bust. Right? Either God shows up or we're done. There's their strategy. There was no cleverness. They're like, hey, we'll get like flashing lights and fog machines. And then the Spirit of God will show up. It's you, God. I need you. I, can I tell you one of the coolest outpourings of the Holy Spirit I've ever experienced in my life? It's, it's one of the most transformative experiences in my life. Uh, um, so several years ago when I was a youth pastor, there was another youth pastor in town who's now become one of my best friends named Aaron. And Aaron and I teamed up and, and took our, both of our youth groups to a conference in Colorado Springs. And in the weeks leading up to this conference, we'd get together weekly and we'd pray. And I'm just going to confess to you, Aaron's prayers made me uncomfortable. Because Aaron prayed for big God-sized prayers. God, do miraculous things. And my prayers were polite. My prayers were easy. God, give us good travel safety. Right? Help our kids get along. Give our volunteers energy. Help them not kill a teenager sometime this week. <laughs> and Aaron just bypassed all of that and went straight to the God stuff. God, just break chains. Bring healing. Bring students to believe in you. And I love my brother Aaron, but I'm like, man, you kind of make, okay, yeah, I, yeah, what he said. 
So we go to this conference. And ironically, Aaron is now the director of this conference in Colorado Springs. Uh, but at the time, we're at this conference, and there's thousands upon thousands of students there, and they're worshiping, and it's awesome, and there's great preachers, and it's awesome, and we're watching our students. You know, it's camp. If you've ever been to a church camp, it's awesome, and kids are, are you're doing their God thing. But it was like, not like earth-shattering. It was like camp is what you would expect. There were some things. Kids went forward. It was kind of cool. Uh, and so then at the end of, of that conference, we went for this hike in Breckenridge, uh, which is gorgeous. And so we went to this lake outside of Breckenridge, and we hiked up. And if you've ever been in, in Colorado, there's a point where the tree line stops, and we're up above the tree line. Uh, and we hike around this lake to the other side, and we sit down, and, and one, of, one of my worship leaders starts leading worship. And it's sweet. It's good. Nothing big, powerful. And after that, uh, Aaron gets up. And he says, man, I just kind of feel led. Why, why don't we just have a time of testimony? And you guys just, let's just talk about what God did in our lives this week. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. And so Aaron comes over and he sits. And it's that awkward silence. You know what I mean? Like in growth group, whenever somebody asks a question and nobody answers. Right? <laughs> and he's like sitting there. Um, and I was fighting every urge to like fill in that blank space. And, and then it happened. And one, one of my students, Jacob, stands up. And he's a senior in high school. Star baseball player, had colleges uh, already giving him offer letters. He's a, a leader in our youth group. He smart, good-looking kid, just kind of the golden boy. And he just starts weeping and weeping. And, just, and then it gets awkward because he's not talking and he's weeping. And then he just starts confessing. And he confesses to this laundry list of stuff that he's been hiding. And then he tells everybody he tried to commit suicide two weeks before that. And he just hit the ground crying. And a group of kids get up and they put their arms around him and they start praying for him. And then what happens for the next two hours was the single biggest outflow of the Holy Spirit that I've ever experienced in my life. And God just began to move. And student after student is confessing. And they're praying for one another. And Aaron and I have nothing to do with it has nothing to do with their sermons. It's that God decided to show up on that day in that way, and it was powerful, and it was moving, and we're just watching this, and kids are giving their life to Christ, and, and it is, we were just blown away. And if you've ever been in Colorado in the summer, every evening it rains. That's just part of the pattern. And we look up, and coming across that lake like a sheet of water is rain. And we could see it on the water, the, the raindrops, and it's coming towards us. And Aaron and I are behind the group like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> like, don't stop this. Like, you're pouring out on these kids right now. And so Aaron and his gutsy prayers begins to pray, hey, God, stop that rain from coming on us so that this doesn't end. And I'm not kidding you. The rain cloud gets to us. It opens up over our group, and it comes back together on the other side and keeps on going. For 30 minutes, that happens. And we are just like, uh. <laughs> Afterwards... The bus driver, the charter bus driver that the charter bus company had sent to us, we don't know this dude, he's from Oklahoma City. He comes up to us and he says, I don't know what you have, but I want it. And our students led the bus driver to the Lord and we baptized him. Oh, I left there going, I'm an idiot. Like, <laughs> what was that? Go, that was God. So I ask again, can God show up in miraculous, powerful ways? Yes. Do we do church expecting him, asking him to show up in miraculous, powerful ways? I don't know. I don't know. But I'd like to start. 
I'd like for us to start. So in your, in your bulletin, you have this little connect card. And I'm going to ask you to do two things. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. We're in the process right now of reviving a prayer ministry that, that used to be here. You know, on Sunday mornings, there will be prayer times taking place before and after services. And we need volunteers for that. They would pray, God, would you show up in powerful ways? That if somebody has something going on in their life and they're needing prayer, that we can send them to the prayer room and they're being prayed for right there. That are praying for this service, that God would stretch out his arm in miraculous ways to do big things. Because we're going to learn from the first church and say, we want to do church your way. You're modeling it for us. Now, there's no guarantee that God's going to do the way he did there. But I do know we are called to pray for it. And so if you're willing to be a part of that prayer ministry, I don't think that means every Sunday, but go back to point A of the sermon. <laughs> we could sacrifice a little bit, right? Which the second thing I want you to be praying about, and, and as we're going to be unrolling, uh, unveiling our, our method of, of, of recruiting and training up and helping volunteers in our church, we're going to be calling it Paseo Teams. That's going to be coming out in the next several weeks. I want you to be asking the question, where in this family can you be serving? And it might be multiple places. And there's joy in that. For the Son of God did not come to, to be served, but to serve. And we want to love like him. So where can you hold the door open for somebody else to be experiencing Jesus? Be praying about that, asking God that. And if you feel led on your volunteer card, uh, on your Connect card to, to, hey, volunteer for that prayer ministry, if you're feeling led to serve in some kind of capacity right now, put it on the card. And when you leave, there's two baskets on this back table. The one on the left, we're collecting cards. Just throw your card in there. We'll get in contact with you. But I want to I end with just a little bit of church history lesson. Can we do this? Because there's this way of reading the Bible that you read this and you go, oh yeah, but that was the apostles and that was Bible reading time. Like that was Bible times. God doesn't do like that anymore, does he? So I'm going to go back to the, the question, does God still move in miraculous ways? Do you know the history of the, of, of the church? Throughout the last 2,000 years, there has regularly been outpourings of the Holy Spirit in miraculous, powerful ways. Right now, if, if, if Carl, if we bring in uh, testimony from missionaries around the world, would we hear stories of God healing and doing miraculous things? Of the outpouring of people coming to believe in Jesus? Yeah. It's happening around the world. Does it happen here in America? Is it just the mission field where that happens? Do you know the history of the church here in America? Quick, quick history lesson here. In the, in the very beginning of America, the 1700s, we get this story that the, you know, it was for religious freedom that they came over to the United States, right? And so that's how the United States started, and it must have been a really religious group. Actually, it wasn't. The church nearly died out in the 1700s. There was a Dutch reform um, pastor, Theodore, and I can't pronounce his last name because it's Dutch and it's different. Um, he comes over, and he discovers that, that the church in the 1700s had that was dead, first of all. There was just no spirit to it whatsoever. And he discovers that they had created something that they were calling the half covenant. The half covenant was that they were allowing people to become members of the church without being believers in Jesus Christ. Because they had seen that church membership was down and they didn't like that. And so they needed to get more numbers in the room. So Jesus is arbitrary. We just need you here and you can come be a member of it. And so it became big social clubs. And it was dead of power. And so he came over and was blown away by it. And he began praying for revival. 
Revival begins taking place. Another preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards takes over for his, his father-in-law's church in Northampton. And he, he begins to preach and see the same problem. He begins to, he had this really boring sermon style where he would just read and it was very monotone. And yet the spirit of God began stirring. And for a short period in the 1740s, um, for, for six months, the Spirit of God poured out, and in six months, 300 believers came to Christ. In six months, at a little country church. Can you imagine here, 300 believers? There's not 300 people in this room. Can you imagine that? And it began to pour over. Then a preacher by the name of George Whitfield came from Great Britain, and he came over, and he began preaching, and the Spirit of God exploded, and it's what we call the Great Awakening in the 1740s. And the Spirit of God just poured out in powerful ways as thousands of people gave their life to Christ. Then it happened again in the late 1700s. It was something we call the Second Great Awakening and another stirring of the Holy Spirit. It happens again starting in Chicago in the, in the mid-1800s with the Third Great Awakening in D.L. Moody. It happens again in the early 1900s here in California with something we call the Azusa Street uh, Revival in L.A. Uh, in the African-American churches, it began to explode and there were miracles and God is moving in all kinds of ways. And then it happens again in, in the mid-1900s as the Spirit of God begins to stir in rallies and crusades through Billy Graham uh, and, and others, and it begins taking off. And it happened right here in Chula Vista in the 1970s, and we have people in our church who are here because of the special Spirit of God pouring out down at First Baptist Church here in Chula Vista in a special way. And so I ask you again, does the Spirit of God stir and move? Yes. Yes, but I think our calling is to do church with the expectancy that he will do his part, we will do our part. And so let's get after it. Make sense? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. And God, we, we want to confess a couple things as a church today. And we want to ask and pray like the first church asked and prayed. God, we confess, first of all, God, that it is far too easy to make church about us, about our comfort, and not about holding the door open for others to know Jesus. So we just confess that, God. I confess that. That we might love Jesus like you love. And so we, I, I pray and we ask for that boldness here in this room. That you would sweep over us with just a passionate servant heart. That whenever, wherever, however, we are willing to hold the door open for others to come to know you. Whatever that may look like. And then, Father, we, we pray like the first church prayed that you would stretch out your hand and you would do what only you can do. And that, God, it might be the outcome of what the church experienced here in our passage today, that more and more people were coming to believe in you, Jesus Christ, because of what you are doing, God. So, Father, we are praying that you would stir here, that we would be faithful to do our part, and we are calling on you, God, to do your part, to do what only you can do. And we pray, God, don't, don't wait until next Sunday. Start now. Start in this room now. 
for the heart that is sitting here in doubt and they're struggling and they want to believe in you, but they just don't know. And they, they have all these reasons of why maybe not. God, may you stir up and like you did to Saul on the road to Damascus, may you just show yourself to be who you have said you are. For the teenager that's sitting and struggling with self-image and worried about how other people see them and self-doubt and self-hatred, God, may you step into that like you did my friend Jacob's life. And may you just recreate them into something new. Your beautiful child, filled with the confidence of your love and your purpose for them. God, for the married couple that is sitting in this room and they're struggling right now, for the mom and dad sitting in this room that's struggling right now, they have no more to give, they're worried, they're broken, their heart is hurting, God, may you step in and do what only you can do. Put forgiveness where there's been anger. Put humility where there has been pride. Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Father, we just gather before you the great king. God, I just, we just give this time. Holy Spirit, move.